All right, everyone. Today, we're going to look at some numbers and information put out by BizBuySell. We're going to take a look at their Q3 Insight Report to see what's happening out there in the world of buying and selling small businesses. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Are you thinking of growing your business or beginning a journey into entrepreneurship? Take a shortcut to success by buying an existing and profitable business the right way. Visit businessbuyeradvantage.com and learn more about my online training, group coaching, and consulting services designed to help you win. All right, so bizbuysell.com, which is one of the big uh, internet marketplaces for people to advertise uh, the purchase and sale of small and medium-sized businesses, um, puts out some data and they have a quarterly report. And I took a look at uh, at the report here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop it up on my screen here. We're gonna take a look. Sorry, mirrored images, you know, confusing sometimes. Uh, we're gonna take a look at the report and uh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, give some commentary and stuff. I've kind of made notes as, uh, as I've gone through here. But um, let me make this bigger so you can see it. Now, one of the big things I want to highlight is that I will often share reports from the IBBA uh, reports, uh, data that they put out on a quarterly basis as well. And, and one of the key differences between the IBBA reports and the BizBuySell Insight report is that the IBBA report is made entirely from surveys of the IBBA membership, which of course is a is a subset of the brokerage industry, let's say, uh, people who are willing to uh, invest in being a part of that association, uh, typically because they get to go to you know convention and you know, the training opportunities and all that kind of stuff. The Biz Buy Sell Insight report is a much broader audience of of information so they will inter they will uh, survey business owners people that are registered on their site as a buyer people that are um you know brokers but more than just the ibba brokers just all the brokers that kind of participate maybe and have a an account with biz buy sell and when we go through here we're going to learn we're going to hear a lot about sba lending and that's because biz buy sell is is a predominant website for the united states for the market there uh, but some of the data that we're going to pull out of this is going to be kind of interesting, regardless of where you happen to be. So um, some of the key highlights that they put up here, uh, median sale prices are up 10%, buoyed by manufacturing and restaurants, and that retail and service sector report reports weaker financials as rising costs eat into profits. I want to dig into a little bit of that as we get into that section. Uh, and then there's a there's a comment here. Savvy buyers scoop up bargains as retail businesses price drop 18%. So uh, you know you can make all kinds of comments or whatnot about about uh, um, you know if it makes sense to buy something that's not performing as well. There's some other key data that we're going to see as we go through this that kind of indicates what is happening in those retail sectors. So before we begin, I want to make a, a, a comment here. Um, the people at Biz Buy Sell, I mean, they have all this information, right? And they put out this report 
to try and give insights into what's happening in the market for small businesses. I've, I've made many videos that talk about how I don't really believe that there's such a thing as a market for small businesses. I believe that businesses are all unique and therefore each one has its own specific market. There's certain businesses where only a small number of particular buyers would ever want to buy them or maybe geographically where they're located, only certain people would ever want to buy them. And so, you know, take this with a little grain of salt. There's always going to be exceptional circumstances where you're going to have a great business that simply has no buyers, or you're going to have a, a business that doesn't seem that great, but a lot of people are going to want it for one reason or another, uh, or a business that's great that sits on the market for years uh, because they just have to wait a long time to meet that one ideal buyer who's going to value that business and, and be able to make an offer that the seller will agree to. And we're going to talk a little bit about expectations here that uh, that the biz by sell was able to uncover with the survey results as well. So um, they're saying here that during the quarter, 2,281 businesses were reported as sold on biz by sell, representing enterprise value of 1.65 billion or 4% higher than at the same time last year. Um, and they're saying it's a positive sign that that deal flow is is growing. Um, and then. Um, we, there's a note here about creativity, and we're, this this lady Lisa Riley is saying beyond traditional secured notes, a plethora of seller carry and value bridging instruments exist, from earnouts and insurance agreements to consulting contracts, lifestyle arrangements, and more. Possibilities are diverse, ensuring a myriad of avenues to success to secure a successful sale. And one of the themes that is in this report, of course, is that in the rising interest rate environment, more and more um, of the burden of the transaction is ending up through these creative kinds of mechanisms. Uh, in particular, they mentioned the growth of seller notes um, in these deals. So here's a sort of a, a, a quote that's been expanded from the conversation here. And it says, I think changes in the debt service coverage ratios are now that are now being required by smaller banks have had them almost as much of a negative impact as rising rates. So what does that mean? Well, when interest rates go up, obviously, it, more cash has to go to service the debt. But what is also happening is that some of the banks, maybe who used to be comfortable with a 1.15 debt service coverage ratio as a function of EBITDA, are now saying, hey, wait a minute, we want a higher debt service coverage ratio. We want 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, whatever it happens to be. And so while the interest rate going up is decreasing the buyer's purchasing power, the the ability the amount that they're willing or they're able to pay uh, for a purchase price, these debt service coverage ratio requirement increases are are also having a similar impact on top of the interest rate increases, and so, you know, sellers who may have heard about a business like theirs selling in 2021 for a million bucks, they come into this market and they want that million dollars, right? <clears throat> And maybe the increasing interest rates would dictate that the buyer can only afford to pay 900000 Well, with these added banking requirements, maybe they really can only afford to pay 800000 for that same business. Sellers obviously don't like that. And that is one of the things driving these alternative structures, which we're going to see some more of as we go through this report. Um, businesses with a healthy cash flow and good management remain in high demand. They always will be. Um, cash buyers having a clear advantage right? Um, and we're going to find out later on here about changes in SBA, the SBA program leading to longer selling times 
or sort of uh, deal wrap up due diligence times, um, it, it's always going to be this case. Any buyer that comes on the scene that says, look, I can do this as quickly as I finish my due diligence and the lawyers do the paperwork is always going to have an advantage over someone that says, I'm going to be borrowing from the bank and we're going to have to go through that whole process to get this deal done. So um, deals in Q3 moved faster with the median days of businesses on the market dropping from to 164 from 182. So 182 days, that's six months on the market. And they're, they're looking at basically a month coming off of that. Um, and it was over 200 days in 2020. Despite rising material and employee costs, sale prices continued to trend upward. The median sale price rose 10% while the median asking price rose 8%. Now, I was curious, so I did the math and over here on the chart, we can see that for Q3, the asking price was 350 and the sale price, these are median, was 330. I did the math. Um, that means that the in median terms, the businesses sold for 6% less than their asking price. Now, just the quarter before that, the median sale price was 300 while the median asking was 345, which means that the quarter before the difference was 13%. And I still think that, um, this is very much, um, how do I put this? Back when I had my brokerage office open, we were happy when we got 80% of an asking price, right? Which would have been a 20% gap. And so I, I think that this is still very much telling the story that sellers are kind of getting what they want, um, that there are a lot of buyers um, and that, people are out there making offers and trying to do deals and that, um, you know, perhaps there are some competition amongst buyers that are kind of pushing this up and which is the whole point behind biz by sell, right? Is to, for sellers to be able to advertise a business and get multiple buyers to step forward and create a bit of competition between them. So the seller can get a higher price. Ultimately it's the sellers that have a, a monetary interest in advertising the availability of a business for sale. So, um, Average, um, and then it also says that there was a slight um, decline in the average multiple while the average revenue multiple or what, what businesses sold for as a percentage of revenue went up by 1%. Um, small business owner confidence remains low as inflation and high costs squeeze business values. Um, and this is interesting because they have this um, graph here, which shows buyers and seller confidence scores with, with uh, a score of 50 being completely neutral, you know, confidence or or um, lack of confidence. And so we can see here that buyer confidence has moved up while seller confidence has moved down over the past, uh, since 2022, you know, which makes sense. I mean, everyone knows that interest rates are going up. And so the buyers that I meet are hopeful that these higher interest rates are going to eventually lead to sellers realizing that they can't get as much for their businesses, maybe meaning a better deal for, for buyers. Of course, it only really ends up being a good deal for buyers if they buy today, lock in that purchase price, and then interest rates somehow go down again. I'm not sure that's going to happen, right? If they continue to go up, it's still not going to be a good deal for buyers. So this whole section here talks about the confidence. Um, most owners feel market conditions have remained relatively the same as the previous year with the majority 49% saying it would be difficult if they were to sell their business today. 
right? Sort of recognizing that downward pressure on pricing. Owner site economic uncertainty is the top factor followed by high interest rates impacting buyer purchasing power, 29%. Yes, yet most owners, 45%, don't feel next year will bring them a higher price either. And that's probably just this recognition that interest rates being as high as they are is likely not gonna change. Um, there's all kinds of evidence around us that the economy continues to be pretty strong, given the high, even with these higher interest rates. And that's not what the central bank wants. The central bank wants things to calm down. They literally are trying to start a recession. Um, let's continue here with the report. It says, regardless of the buyer type, rates are up. And so seller financing is still a prominent part of these transactions. Sellers can expect to be asked to carry 10 to 20% on a seller note. I, I think that is low. Um, I 20% to me on a seller note is not a material amount of financing from a seller. We have seen terms of seller notes being reduced. Typically they would be 10 years for seller notes. And now we're seeing five-year notes or a five-year balloon. And so, um, I don't think a balloon seller note is something anyone should get involved with, uh, for, as a buyer. Uh, just because you're gambling on the availability that you're going to be able to qualify for credit in the future. Um, inflation is a major concern among business owners with a majority, 74%, saying their costs have gone up over the previous year, right? Cost of everything's going up, you know, supply chain problems, labor, we're going to get into here in a minute. Most blame an increase in the cost of goods plus overhead such as rent and fuel. Now, here's a key quote. It says, one owner states, the same vehicles we bought in 2018 and 2019 cost twice as much just four to five years later. Gas is more expensive, oil changes, the cost of everything associated with our industry has increased. Now, um, gas, oil changes, maintenance, all of these things will be in the P&L. So they will cause the SDE of the business to go down. However, the purchase of the vehicles is part of CapEx, right? And CapEx is not included in SDE. So one of the things I constantly remind you guys about is that when you're looking at the SDE of business, you need to figure out what a reasonable CapEx budget will be for you going forward. And as this business owner points out, the cost of vehicles is doubled in five years. And so that's gotta be reflected in your CapEx calculation because those vehicles have gotta be paid for with money out of your pocket somehow, and that's in the SDE which means it's not available for debt service or distributions or anything like that. So this is another sort of point I wanted to, I wanted to highlight here. And I don't think a lot of buyers know that quite frankly, when I, when I see, you know, some of the results of this report of what people are willing to pay for businesses, I don't think a lot of buyers are actually fully informed by tuning into this channel. You're in a select group of people who are probably better prepared to avoid hazards than the general marketplace, which would include people that they've been surveying here. So the labor market, specifically the ability to hire or retain employees at a reasonable rate is also affecting small business with 47% saying the market is not improving. In addition, 48% saying recent increases in state minimum wages have hurt their business. One owner explain, explains how new state minimum wages have impacted his bottom line. Here's another great quote. Even though I've raised my prices, I can't keep my wages in line with previous amounts. Now I am at the new minimum wage, which is $5.25 higher than it was three years ago. 
and I can only offer just at or slightly above minimum wage. Plus all the other costs have gone up, so we're barely getting by. So this is, this is a phenomenon that is happening in a lot of US states. And I was going through this here where I live in New Brunswick around the time that my office was open, 2009, 2010. We went through uh, a series of time where the minimum wage went from low $7-ish up to about ten twenty-five, which is a 50% increase in minimum wage over a similar short period of time, like three years. And the net result was that a lot of marginal businesses went under. Like this is when we saw a whole wave of video stores close. And honestly, video stores were on the way out anyway, video rental stores. Were, they were on their way out anyway with streaming and all that other kind of stuff coming along. But without these increases in minimum wages, they probably could have carried on for a few more years, continuing to create employment in the community. But the minimum wage goes up and it forces some of these businesses out. So one of the things that's going to happen with this is if you if there's a good business out there and then it's you know competing with a more poorly run business, these increases in minimum wage can actually thin the herd of businesses and benefit the surviving ones by allowing more market share to go to them. That's one thing that can happen. The other thing that this owner kind of alludes to, um, and maybe this quote appears somewhere else, but a lot of the times employees within a business, even if they don't earn minimum wage, they, they look at their paycheck with respect to minimum wage. So for example, if, if minimum wage is $10 and I earn $15 an hour, I think of myself as earning 50% more than minimum wage. So now if minimum wage increases to $15 an hour, then you know I still wanna earn more. One person might think, well, I used to earn $5 more than minimum wage, now I wanna earn 20 because minimum wage is 15. But if someone thinks about it in a more sophisticated sense, they should wanna earn 50% more than the new minimum wage, which would be 2250, right? So when minimum wages goes up, it's not just the minimum wage earners that then have to be paid more. Everyone else in the organization who bases their sense of worth or the value of their labor against that minimum wage benchmark is also going to want a similar adjustment in the minimum in, in their wages. And so it, it cascades throughout the whole organization, throughout your whole labor uh, expense category. Um, and it says down here, furthermore, interest rate hikes are making it increasingly difficult for owners to attract customers while covering costs with 64% saying higher rates have had a negative impact as capital has become more expensive. Nearly half of owners say they have responded by raising prices. Okay. Which if you're in business today, you've got to be on top of price increases. Everyone is now expecting prices to go up. This is the time to do it. Um, 40% have had to delay expansion plans. So that's a reduction in capital expenditures. Just 18% are pausing hiring. Only 7% are resorting to layoffs, which is why we're still seeing such high labor, um, labor numbers. Um, most business buyers remain optimistic amid high rates. So talks here about how we're facing the highest interest rates in 20 years. Most buyers remain confident. Um, 73% are confident they can buy a business at an acceptable price. Um, I would think it would be great, biz by self, if you could somehow record their responses, track how many of them actually do a deal, then ask them the same question after they bought the business. 
because a lot of the people that I meet in my one-on-one consulting are very confident that they're getting a good deal. And then when I break into the deal and we go through the numbers and stuff, they realize that what they thought was a good deal is actually not, right? So it'd be interesting to see how their their opinion may change after they do a deal. Because again, we're, we're talking here about the general marketplace of people that want to buy a business who've signed people. I'm guessing these buyers are just people who've signed up for a biz buy sell account and they've been sent you know, a survey form. In terms of value, 53% of buyers believe businesses are overvalued, okay? Yet 40% believe values are similar to last year. Over 34% of buyers attribute economic uncertainty as the top reason they would receive an acceptable price, while 41% attribute high interest rates as the top reason they would not receive a favorable price. And then it says regarding motivation to seek business ownership, 44% said they're corporate refugees, 16% 16% are newly unemployed. These are the truly motivated, right? They're unemployed and they need a cash flow. They need to secure revenue to support themselves and their family. Um, 50% have owned a business before. Uh, this mirrors my, my um, experience entirely. Um, in fact, a lot of people that I've met over the years who have started a business and either if they've closed it or sold it, you know, no matter how they got out of it, the next time they want to go into business, they usually end up becoming a business buyer because they don't want to go through that startup period again. Um, 39% of buyers see today's environment as an opportunity to take on a variety of great businesses as more and more baby boomers retire each day. And then there's a quote here from uh, Whitney Richter saying a large number of boomers are retiring and selling good, reliable businesses that have been proven to be resistant to economic downturns such as 2008. Um, She is a buyer in California. It says, however, not all baby boomers are ready to close shop and some are instead looking to open one with one in five buyers identifying as belonging to the older generation. Interesting enough because um, we hear all these statistics about how there are a lot of people approaching retirement who do not have the retirement savings, uh, the pensions, et cetera, to be able to sustain them in retirement. And I, I, I have met older people um, as well in my own practice that are looking to acquire a business as a way to have income in what would normally be considered a retirement or golden age of your golden, uh, the golden years of your life where you're supposed to be, you know, uh, rocking the lazy boy or whatever. In terms of top business qualities, the majority of buyers are seeking service businesses. 55% prefer thriving businesses, while 40% are considering poorly performing businesses they can purchase at a discount. So, you know, the service business thing, uh, to me, that means that we're talking about people that probably have more limited capital and they're looking at businesses that don't have a lot in the way of capital investment or big machinery or equipment or things that would be driving up the price. Um, I meet a lot of people who don't have a lot in the way of down payment money, and that's where they're focused on service businesses, which typically can have a lower dollar price um, when it comes to um, the transaction or or deal. Uh, Manufacturing businesses are in high demand as prices surge 28%. So um, manufacturing businesses have always been in high demand, but I think that there's a growing understanding that um, you know, global outsourcing of production is a thing that may be waning, 
that the future of manufacturing, particularly in the, the Western world, might be you know, having a, a better future in front of it than it has had for a long time. So a lot of this information here doesn't surprise me. Um, entrepreneurs scoop up bargains in the retail sector as prices drop 18%. Well, you know, earnings have fallen. Um, it, it talks about it in here. To, retail business acquisition grew 6%. Prices declined 18%. Median revenue declined 15% over the previous year, while median cash flow is down 5.4%. So if the average small business multiplier is like 2.3 times SDE, 2.3 times 5.4 uh, would be around what? Uh, well, two times would be you know 14 percentage ish 14 ish which means that the uh, uh prices declined 18 percent so i mean it's roughly in line with what you would just expect you know yeah people are paying less because the cash flows are lower um similar the average cash flow multiple declined six percent and the average revenue multiply multiple declined three percent uh discretionary spending has shifted as consumers face tighter credit conditions. And it talks about the personal savings rates here going down. Uh, restaurant revenue continues to grow as more dine out. However, rising costs eat profits. So again, in here, there's uh, another bit of data here that talks about how revenue at restaurants has gone up. It's still not quite as high as the February 2020 level that's mentioned over here. Um, but the sector is still adding jobs. It is still bouncing back from the pandemic years. And the average cash flow multiple inched up a little bit. The average revenue multiple declined. And restaurants are discretionary. People do need to eat. It's true. People do not need to eat out. Um, and so what is happening is, is you've got increasing costs. It says here that cash flow declined 3.6%. So you've got wages going up, just like we talked about before. You've got the cost of food going up. And this is probably a sector where the business owners know that they don't have quite as much ability to raise prices. Um, you know, people that go out often to eat are probably going to realize when things go up. You know, there's all kinds of stuff on Twitter about, you know, the tipping percentages increasing on the credit card terminal machines. Uh, more and more people are expected to tip on more and more categories. I personally think that encouraging patrons to increase their tip is one of the ways that people like restaurant owners are trying to hold off as long as possible on wage increases, right? Because if their servers are taking home more money because the tips are going up, it means there's less pressure on the business owners to actually pay higher wages. Um, Eventually, though, things have to have to move up. Uh, the prices have got to change. And so I think a lot of business owners are working really hard to hold back those price increases uh, just because they don't want to scare off their customers. It's it's a it's a it's a, a, a tricky thing to navigate. There's no question. Um, demand for service businesses declines as it diversifies to other sectors. So. It says the past year has shown a dip in both transactions and financial performance of the service sector, reflecting a, down, a slowdown in the demand. The number of closed transactions declined 4% over the previous year, while the median sale price declined 6.4%. 
median revenue declined 6% and median cash flow remained flat. So people are less willing to pay for service businesses. I would imagine this is because so many service businesses would be deemed as discretionary and people worrying about an upcoming recession or growing impacts of a recession, the buyers, I mean, may be less willing to get into a business that they feel is discretionary. Um, it's talking here about how this may be a correction after such a high demand during the pandemic. Many of these businesses performed exceedingly well, whereas other businesses such as restaurant and retail uh, shops, which relied heavily on foot traffic, uh, became less attractive. Uh, the market is expected to continue adapting to high interest rate environment. So we're going to talk here a little bit more about the increase of SBA loans, uh, or sorry, the increase of seller financing. So the market moves, as the market moves through the holiday season and into 2024, prevailing interest rate environment is expected to continue. The labor rate remains strong as the Federal Reserve continues their quest to slow the economy and bring inflation down to 2%. Okay, the Federal Reserve, big important institution, is trying to cause a recession. I, I don't know why they don't just write that, right? Maybe too scary, but that's what they're trying to do. As of September, the consumer price index holds steady at 3.7%. If you are a student of economic history, if you look back at other periods in time where we've had consistent inflation, one of the things that starts to happen is that once this inflation cat gets out of the bag, it's really hard to catch it again. So if you've been watching the news lately, the auto workers, for example, have been going through a series of, uh, of labor actions. They're negotiating for a new contract and they're looking for increases in their wages, right? Because the price of everything they buy has gone up. The cost of living has gone up. So these people are, are negotiating for um, more wages, which makes total sense, right? Because there's this expectation now that inflation is higher, of course, those workers are seeking higher increases. They will succeed in getting some kind of increase. Nobody reasonable person would expect that they're going to continue to work for the 2023 wages for the next four or five years, however long their contract is. The amount of increase that the auto workers get when the, the dispute is settled and they have a contract in place, um, is going to then inform all the other labor leaders and workers in general as to what sort of wage increase expectations are going to be reasonable. And remember all the restaurateurs we've talked about here in the article, how they said that their costs are going up and the small business owner talking about minimum wage going up. What ends up happening is you get this um, reinforcement feedback loop in the economy where inflation gets kicked off by something like you know, printing lots of money during the crisis in 2020. Uh, and the money that is floating around out there chases the same number of goods, causing the prices to go up. Now workers want more money because their cost of living has gone up. And then you get this feedback loop, right? And it gets hard. It's hard to put this under control. And so I don't, I'm not optimistic at all that inflation, you know, in a year's time is going to go back down to 2%. This is going to be a real battle for the central bank. And I think that that's the assumption we should all operate under, that inflation is not going to be put away right away very quickly. Um, we could even look to something like the 1970s as a template or an example of what could happen. Um, but I'm not an economist, right? 
So not economic advice, I guess I should add to that. Isn't that what people on social media are supposed to do? So let's get back to the report. Seller financing is increasingly important. SBA loans remain top source of financing. So um, this is a great quote. And this is something I've said to a lot of sellers. This is from Lisa Riley. Um, and she says, in the realm of business sales, the seller carry proves to be an invaluable asset. It opens doors to maximizing the amount one retains as a seller, creates a path for non-SBA enterprises and may shorten the timeline to closing, right? Remember? Um, and then they, they say down here, Katrina Lofton, uh, who is another business M&A advisor, says that due to some recent SBA rule changes, transactions are taking longer to close than they ever have. A normal SBA finance transaction without issues is taking 60 to 90 days to close. So a buyer who comes on the scene and says, hey, um, I've got all cash. Uh, you don't have to do an SBA process with me. We can do it much more quickly. That's obviously going to be more attractive to a seller. But a buyer who says, hey, I have a significant down payment. We can do this deal really quickly if you will carry a note. That's also becoming more appealing to sellers. Uh, and I've personally seen some deals and I've talked with an accountant recently who has seen some deals where buyers are putting down significant down payments like 35, 40% and the sellers are carrying the balance. And that directly mirrors my experience back in the 2009, uh, 2010 period where it became harder to get bank loans. It wasn't that interest rates had gone up, but it was just getting harder to get them. And more and more deals were reliant entirely on seller financing, particularly if a seller wants to maximize the amount that they're going to get for their business. Um, you can completely avoid the problem that buyers have with increasing interest rates by offering to hold a note at a lower interest rate. So if the price you want to sell your business for doesn't pencil out with an 11% interest rate, um, maybe it will at an 8% interest rate, but you're going to have to hold the note. Um, so there's more in here about that. Um, this was interesting here, this, this uh, section. Seller financing is one area where deal making still needs to adapt to current market conditions. The gulf between buyers and sellers remains wide with 24% of sellers saying they're planning to offer seller financing compared to 55% of buyers who are expecting to ask for it. In my mind, this is entirely the fault of business brokers not doing their job properly. When I was a broker in the very first meeting I had with my sellers, I would explain why they would be required to hold paper on the deal. And I would tell them it could be, a, I said, you know, in some circumstances, it might be 30, 40, 50% that you may have to finance. Um, and I would say, you know, we'll obviously try to get lower, but seller financing is a necessary part of selling a business. Um, and if you're a business broker and you're not doing that, you're not setting that expectation, I think that you're setting yourself up to have inventory on your shelves for a long time that won't move because your sellers will not accept reasonable offers because they need to be prepared to know what a reasonable offer looks like. Um, more retiring baby boomers expect to sell in the coming years. So this is more like that gray tsunami concept. Uh, which I heard someone trademarked recently. Anyway, uh, in fact, 38% of all business owners surveyed identified as baby boomers and nearly half of all owners looking to sell their businesses say they are retiring. So 
I want to point out something really big here. 38% of all business owners surveyed identify as baby boomers. That's not the majority. I've, I've said it before in other videos. People sell their businesses at all stages of life for all different kinds of reasons. The number one reason that people sell a small business is burnout, boredom, and fatigue. And then there's divorce, poor health, the need to relocate, and finally retirement. So, you know, baby boomers, I would believe uh, many of them want to sell because of retirement. Obviously, those other reasons could be there too. But this is telling me that 62% of business sellers are probably suffering from one of those other conditions. And so um, looking for gray hair isn't necessarily something that um, is a requirement to finding someone who has a business that you might want to buy or who might be willing to sell. So just throwing that out there. Um, many are still not prepared with 27% saying they do not have their financials in order or a transition plan in place. Um, I question that statistic. Uh, I question it a lot because who would biz by sell have on their email list to send the survey to it's people who've at least dipped their toe into exploring this, right? They've, they've signed up in some way. They've ended up on the radar at, over at biz by sell in some way. I think that if you could truly get a cross section of all businesses, um, the number would be more like 70 or 80% of small businesses are not prepared to sell um, of all businesses, um, which is a problem. Um, you know, someone who's 30 years old who owns a business might not think that they need to be prepared to sell. But remember what I just said, that the biggest reasons people sell a business are burnout, boredom, and fatigue, divorce, poor health, the need to relocate, and finally retirement. It means that 80% of the reasons why someone wants to sell are actually not planned for. It's stuff that just happens to you. So if you are a business owner and uh, you want to uh, be prepared for one of those eventualities, then get your financials and things in order so that uh, you are able to talk with a buyer if suddenly you arrive into a circumstance where you need to. Um, and then there's a media contact here, Mr. Adam Debussy. Uh, hi, Adam. Thanks for... Push, publishing this report and sending it out to everybody. I will put a link to this down in the uh, in the show notes down below if you would like to go over and check it out for yourself. Um, yeah, if uh, if you're thinking about buying a business, um, then please head on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. It's where I talk about all the services that I have that can help people buy and analyze a business, help you make an offer. You can find out about my online training, which is a self-study program that comes with some great tools and, and, um, and assets to, to look at and study a business that you might want to make an offer on. You can learn about my group coaching program where we meet three times a month to talk about the deals that we're working on. And I help people and people help each other. It's a great group of people that are in that group. And you can also learn about my other consulting services and things. If you found a business that you think might be a good deal and you want an extra set of eyes on it to help you look at it and just make sure that you're not um, accidentally getting yourself into trouble, uh, I'm more than happy to help. It's what I do every day. And with that, I'll say thank you. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to hit like, leave a comment, uh, hit subscribe, leave a review for if you're an audio podcast listener. All of that stuff helps the algorithm allow that this content to find new audiences of people who could really take advantage of it. And with that, I'll say thanks. Cheers. Talk to you next time.
So, how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy, go over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, and more. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go to Mark Willis at Lake Growth Financial, today's video sponsor. Mark helps people better manage their personal and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've seen others use it successfully for years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find all the interviews I've done with Mark and learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up for a free consultation to learn what this solution might look like for you.